Please take your Bibles and turn in them to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, as we continue on in our series in Matthew's Gospel, I'd like us to read this morning verses 18 through 22. We sang, Veiled in Flesh, the Godhead Seed. Hail the incarnate deity. You look at Jesus in his earthly ministry, you see the Godhead veiled in flesh. We sung in another song about the angels with sleepless eye who have to veil those sleepless eyes when they see the Godhead in his transcendent eternal glory. But veiled in flesh, we can see him. You see Jesus in this passage. You see God in this passage. I'm telling y'all, I'm very close to doing just a whole small group on Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's going to happen <laughs> one of these days. Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. Jesus is now on the scene. His public ministry. He's preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then we read, verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do believe the one that we have just read about is your own dear son the one that you have sent in the latter days after all the prophets to come as your revelation of God to man, the fullest disclosure of your ways and your will. We look upon the revelation of the Godhead and the person of Jesus as we contemplate what he does here, what he says here to these men so much like us. We pray that we would understand better your will for our lives. We thank you that your son, the Lord Jesus, was pleased as man with men to dwell. He is indeed our Emmanuel. Help us to know him better, to worship him better. As a result of our time in your word this morning, we pray together in Jesus' name, amen. January 2nd, 1956, a 29-year-old young man from the Pacific Northwest woke up in Ecuador, where he had lived for the past four years. As he woke, he greeted a morning he had been waiting for for several years. This young man was exceedingly bright, popular, and gifted. He was handsome, charismatic, and possessed outstanding leadership ability. He's the kind of young man who some of you parents are praying for, 
uh, who would come and sweep your daughters off their feet. This man had a lovely wife of three years who he loved passionately and a beautiful daughter who was about to turn a year old. But on that January 2nd morning in 1956, he wasn't preoccupied with thoughts of his wife or of his daughter, but was rather thinking about a short flight he would take that day over the thick jungle of Ecuador. The plane was to deposit him along with four friends on a beach in northern Ecuador where he hoped they would be able to meet members of the Aka tribe in order to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ who is the Savior of the world. And for a number of years previously, while this young man carried on ministry in another part of Ecuador, he and his friends had been strategizing, even dreaming, about how to reach the Akas with the gospel. He knew it was not an easy task, perhaps even a seemingly impossible task, as the Akas were a deadly tribe and usually killed on sight any visitors to their shores. But Jim Elliott thought perhaps God would make a way for them, a way for them to bring good news to the Akas, and so God did. But it would not be before Jim, along with his four friends, were violently killed on January 8th, 1956, not even a week after they arrived on the Aka beach. His young wife, Elizabeth Elliot, in the wake of her husband's death, made plans to go to the Aukas herself and to preach good news to the men who had murdered her husband. Two years later, she moved to live among the tribe along with her three-year-old daughter, Valerie, and a woman named Rachel Saint, who had also been widowed by the men of the Aka tribe on that January 8th morning in 1956, and in the grace and mercy of God, many among the Aukas were indeed converted through their ministry. Jim Elliott's story has been immortalized in Elizabeth's book about her husband titled To the Golden Shore. We have it in the bookstall. To those who knew Jim Elliott, his death on the mission field was not altogether surprising. Uh, the trajectory of his life had been set years earlier uh, when he first became a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. His commitment as Christ's disciple is brilliantly captured in a short entry in his journal from October 28, 1949. At the age of 22, Jim Elliott wrote these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We've been in a series of sermons in Matthew's gospel. Uh, the last time we were together in this book, we considered verses 12 through 16, a little bit verse 17. Uh, that's the last time Matthew will sort of announce the coming of the Christ in verse 17. He's on the scene preaching. This is a message John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now he's here. He's arrived. And in these verses, in verses 18 through 22, we will see Jesus as his first act now after Beginning his preaching ministry, he will call his first disciples. Now, let me tell you the plan for preaching here at Emmanuel for the next uh, month or two. We will leave the Gospel of Matthew. It's all intentional. It's all planned this way. We will leave the Gospel of Matthew next week. 
and we will begin an Advent series. Uh, as we enter the season of Advent, Advent means coming, the coming of Christ, uh, we will give four weeks of special attention to the subject of the incarnation and its implications for humanity. And it gives us a natural break in our consideration of Matthew's gospel because the next passage we're going to turn to is the Sermon on the Mount, which is just some of the most exalted teaching in our Lord's ministry. It's a logical time to break in the narrative, but I'm deliberately breaking before the end of chapter 4, beginning of verse 23 through 25, because that really is a prelude, I think, to the Sermon on the Mount, where we're told about Jesus' ministry, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the crowds gathering to Him, and then Jesus going up on a mountain, seeing the crowds. He speaks to His disciples about the ethics of the kingdom. And so I want to begin, I want to enter back into Matthew in January in chapter 4, verse 23, as we begin our consideration of the Sermon on the Mount. Is everybody clear on where we're going? This is our last sermon in Matthew. And then in December, we'll be in our Advent series, and then we'll return to Matthew's gospel in January. So this morning, we're going to consider verses 18 through 22, Jesus' calling of his first disciples. And I hope this sermon, but also will be rich and helpful experientially and devotionally for each one of us this morning. I'm going to present four points, four observations from the passage, and we'll give applications throughout the message. So, four things I want you to notice, Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22, that will frame our time. Notice, first of all, the humble origins of Jesus' first disciples. Notice the humble origins of Jesus' first disciples. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and He comes across these two lowly fishermen, brothers, Simon and Andrew. Uh, we, we learn from John's account, John chapter 1, that, that Simon and Andrew were from Bethsaida. Uh, Bethsaida was called the, the city of Simon and Andrew. Uh, Bethsaida can be freely translated fish town, or the place where fish are hunted, the fish are caught. So, you have two fishermen from fish town in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus determines these men will be my disciples. Not just his disciples, his very first disciples. The first two men he enlists in his service, Simon and his brother Andrew. He then goes on a little way and he sees James and John, two brothers also, standing in a boat with their father Zebedee. Now they're mending their nets, we read, perhaps after a catch of fish, big haul of fish, and so they got to mend the nets. I don't really know anything about catching fish, but I assume that's what they were doing. And we read, he calls them too. And they leave the boat and their father, and they too follow Jesus. Now, make no mistake, Jesus handpicked these men. He chose these men. We should not imagine that Jesus happened to be walking along the sea that morning, and He happened to spot these four men, and He thought, well, these guys will do. It's not as though Jesus sent out a mailer to the local population and these were the few guys desperate enough to respond to the mailer, and he just thinks, okay, well, this is the only guys who came. I'll just go with, with these fellows. No, Jesus elected these men. He knew them before the foundation of the world, and He chose them. 